the thing I did differently in 2022 that has made a difference in my life is that I started getting up an hour and a half earlier every day so that I would have some time to sit in the quiet and then do some meditation. So that has made me calmer all day long and has been a really great change in my life. Terry, thanks for that message. We live a lot of our lives on autopilot, like driving a car to a familiar place. We move through daily routines, obligations, and habits without thinking much about it. But with the new year comes a new opportunity to pause, reset, and maybe make a change. If we want to create a change in the new year, whether it's a small thing like drinking more water or a bigger goal like learning a new skill or being a better listener to our loved ones, how can we stick with it? And by changing our habits for the long term, can we change ourselves? We'll answer those questions and get into so much more after the break. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Remember, you can join us for future conversations. Just download the 1A Box Pop app and leave us a message. Let's jump into the conversation. Joining us from Austin is Professor Bob Duke. He's head of music and human learning at the University of Texas. He's also co-host of the psychology podcast, Two Guys on Your Head. Bob, welcome to 1A. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. And with us from Washington is Wendy Wood, a professor of psychology and business at the University of Southern California. She's the author of Good Habits, Bad Habits, The Science of Making Positive Changes That Stick. Wendy, it's great to have you. And good to be here. So let's start with the scientific definition of a habit. Wendy, what is it? Well, habits are a certain learning system. I think of habits as mental shortcuts. They're ways in which our brain connects what we do repeatedly with the context the surroundings in which we're repeating the behavior so that all we have to do is be there again in the future, see those surroundings, be at that time and place, and the behavior automatically comes to mind. And that happens without you trying. You don't have to try to form a habit. Habits form just as a matter of repeated experience. So you don't have to try to form a habit, but can you practice your way into a habit? Sure. Um, it's, it's what you are control, in control of is the um, ways in which you repeat a behavior. So there are tricks you can use to make a behavior easier to repeat. Bob, you know, of course, we're kicking off 2023, and some people start New Year's resolutions. Some people are rabidly anti-resolution, but what is the difference between a resolution and a habit change? Well, I, I think one of the things that's interesting about making resolutions is that we feel good just having made the statement that we're going to change something <laughs> even before we've <laughs> actually changed anything. And I think, you know, it's understandable that many of us optimistically like to think, well, if I just will myself to do something differently, either create something new in my experience or stop doing something that I know is not in my best interest, uh, I think, you know, most of us feel pretty confident that we're going to be able to follow through with that. But, you know, you mentioned in your intro, Jen, that uh, we run a lot of our lives on autopilot. Uh, and, and, and you know, when Wendy's talking about the idea of repeating and context, I mean, we we underestimate, I think, 
uh, how much of what we do in the course of a day uh, we didn't consciously make a decision about doing at all, and which is why it makes it really hard to create new habits because so many so many of the things that we do every day are sort of running off below our conscious awareness. And so we don't really know what are the triggers that are affecting many of the things that we actually do. Well, Wendy, how, how much of those daily behaviors, the things we, we do each day, are habits we're not, we're not really aware of? Yeah, this was an interesting thing that we found early in our research on habits, that um, people are repeating as Bob says, an amazing amount of everyday behavior. They repeat it almost every day in the same context, and they're thinking about something else while they're doing it. So you don't have to actively make decisions about much of your day. In fact, we found that 43% of what people do every day is done in this habitual way, where you just start repeating what you've done before in a given context without thinking about it, realizing it. It's a pretty non-conscious process. 43%. So as we're moving through our day, almost half of what we're doing, it's just, it's just habit. That's, that seems really high, Wendy. I mean, I feel like I'm making deliberate choices throughout the day, but what I'm hearing from you is that I'm, I'm not necessarily making, making deliberate choices. I'm just doing what I've always done. Exactly. And, you know, if you start doing something that's really inconsistent with your goals, like on a Saturday you start to drive to work instead of to the store because you're not thinking about what you're doing. At that point, most people, we all catch ourselves and realize, oh, okay, I was responding automatically. I didn't intend to do that. I'd better make another plan and figure out how to get to the store now. Um, But an awful lot of those habits actually work for us. So we get into the car, we put our seatbelt on. It's what we would have done if we were thinking carefully, right? Making a decision. But instead, we do it out of habit. And so habits are shortcuts. They're mental shortcuts that work for us in everyday life. Every once in a while, though, our goals shift or our understanding shifts and we want to make a change. And that's what New Year's resolutions are, is their decisions to change, change behavior that's not working for us anymore. Well, Bob, it seems that a lot of New Year's resolutions come down to stopping a behavior, starting a behavior, or as Wendy said, changing a behavior that doesn't work for us anymore. So when it comes to deciding on a resolution, or if you're not, if you're not a resolution fan, but you just want to make a change, what's your advice? Well, I, I, I think one, one thing that's interesting about the timing of all of this, you know, uh, the start of a new year, you know, you have to write a new number on a check and everything right. sort of changes because it's now 2023. And I, I think 
time like that, you know, it, m- things that mark time are occasions that make people think, well, this is the moment, you know, when I'm going to make some changes because of the, I don't know, the gravity of the change. But I, I think, you know, we can make changes in our life experience at any time during the year. It doesn't take uh, the rollover of a new uh, year to, to, to make that happen. But I, I will say when, you know, when people are thinking about what, they'd like to change. You know, whenever we think I have an intention to change something, I think we have to be clear about something that Wendy mentioned, and that is the word context. Our, our memories uh, of behavior and our habits are tightly bound to the context in which those behaviors run off. I mean, when we, uh, if someone is a smoker who wants to start smoking, there are a lot of attendant things that cue smoking. And the idea of smoking is now tied to all of these other things that are in your environment. And that's true of almost everything. I mean, we, we are cued to behave. And again, those cues are recognized and operating below our conscious awareness in ways that we don't really recognize. So the first thing to do, I think, is to be really clear about setting goals that are tangible. So if I want to exercise more, that's a, that's a lousy goal. (laughs) <laughs> because I mean, what's more? I don't, I don't know. But if I say, you know, once a day when I'm at the office, I'm going to walk outside the building if the weather permits, and I'm going to walk around the parking lot one time. Now that's a goal. And I know whether I've accomplished it or not. And one of the things that having those kinds of goals initially allows you to do is to take pleasure in the fact that you can accomplish them. I think many people who set goals for themselves set goals that are really big and require a tremendous amount of change. And and those are almost always doomed because there's no way to take pleasure in the path to reaching that goal. I mean, there are so many things that have to happen for you to change your diet in a, you know, in a, in a really big way or to change the way you exercise or to change how you approach work or, <clears throat> excuse me, whatever it happens to be. And I think in order to make those things or increase the likelihood they're going to be successful, it's important to have clear, tangible goals that are not that big, that get you on a path to accomplishing whatever the big goal might be. Now, Wendy, the title of your book is Good Habits, Bad Habits. Is it easier to start a good habit or stop a bad one? Well, <laughs> that's, there's a complicated answer to that, but let me just say it depends. Okay. So it's hard to change habits when we're living in the same place, our, all of our other routines are the same, and we're continually being cued. The old habits continually come back to us when we're in these contacts. So one way to change a unwanted habit is to actually change the context. It's why people sometimes report being able to quit smoking when they're on vacation or when they move to a new place. There's evidence that people who are habitual car drivers sometimes switch to public transit. When you're undergoing changes in the context around you, that gives you a sort of a window of opportunity to make decisions that are harder when your 
old habits are continually cued by the circumstances around you. We got this message from Susie who asks, how does one begin to act with intention to change behavior? What tools are available? So Bob, Susie's thinking about the the intention to change, even if you haven't actually changed the behavior yet. Any guidance? Well, I, I think, you know, one of the things that, that Wendy brings up that's really important about changing habits is making it easy to do the thing that you want to do and harder to do the things that you don't want to do. And I think one one thing to mention in addition to this, especially when it comes to eliminating behavior or trying to extinguish be- behavior in your repertoire, is choosing things to learn to do that are incompatible with the behavior you want to, to go away. Um, it's it's really difficult just to stop doing something because most of the things that we end up doing, especially not with a lot of conscious awareness, have been reinforced over time uh, in ways that are now maybe invisible to us. So when you say, well, what's incompatible with this thing that I'm trying to stop doing? And you make that, um, I'm going to add what Wendy was just saying, easy to do, that it means it's more likely that you're going to do it, and rewarding in some way. And the reward doesn't necessarily have to come from the act itself. I mean, the reward could come from your keeping a record of what you're doing and so sort of enjoying the fact that your line is going up or down or whichever direction you want the line to go in. But there are opportunities for you to see progress all all along the way, right? You're not just have this thing in the future that may or may not happen, but each time you eat fruits or vegetables or take a walk around the office parking lot or whatever, you you now have these opportunities to congratulate yourself and celebrate a little bit because you've done the thing that you've set out to do. What if, what if the thing you set out to do, though, is less centered on you and more centered on your relationship with others? So let's say... That's you, harder. That's hard, right. So let's say you you've made a... Um, a resolution that you, um, let me think you want to, okay. So let's say you, you like to share information about other people. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so you say, I'm there's going, a, there's a, there's an official psychology <laughs> word for that is called gossip. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> so you say 2023, it's the year I'm going to stop gossiping yeah. about other people. Yep. I would, I would assume that there is some pleasure you get out of gossip. So, so how do you offset whatever it is you get from gossiping by not gossiping. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it, it, it does. But th- this is a great example of finding something that's incompatible with the gossip, right? I mean, a lot of people, I mean, people love juicy tidbits about other people that they know or celebrities or whatever. That's why people buy all those magazines at the checkout counter or in the grocery store. But if, if you think about, well, what can I say instead of the gossip, right? So if I'm talking to my friend who I usually, you know, gossip about some other friend uh, with, what what other things could I say? Uh, and, and actually think about that before meeting this friend who I usually gossip with. So I've got something else to have a conversation about other than the gossip. I mean, I, mean, I, I, th- I think, you know, something I said earlier, just stopping a behavior is just next to impossible to do unless you've got something incompatible to replace it with. Because as we've been talking about over the whole show today, I mean, so much of our behavior is running off and is being reinforced by things that we're not even quite aware of. Uh, I, I think most of us, 
you know, imagine, because it feels like this from inside our own consciousness, you know, we perceive stuff in the world around us and then we think about it and make decisions about it and then we act. And that sequence is what it feels like, but that's almost never what's happening. I mean, much of what we're doing when we're speaking or, you know, behaving in some way or whatever, we're responding to cues that exist in our environment. So to have things to replace the behavior that we want to change is, I, I think, a, a, a real advantage uh, over just trying to say, I'm not going to do that anymore, which is almost always a failed strategy. Well, Wendy, I mean, we talk about changing context to help us change our behaviors, but what if that context is a person? Well, sure. We have habits that we share with people we live with um, and people we spend a lot of time with. They do something, we do something. Those are sort of shared habits. And that's why when our relationships change, we may find a lot of our behavior changing too. Because all of a sudden we're thinking about what we're doing instead of just reacting automatically to other people. And sometimes the people around us are really fun and helpful and they, they make us better individuals, but sometimes the people around us aren't so helpful and beneficial. And then understanding what behaviors they're cueing, what behaviors we might be sharing with them, and making a decision about whether they're actually people we should and want to spend time with becomes important. We'll be back with more of our conversation in just a moment. And remember to connect with us on Twitter. Tweet us at 1A. Let's jump back to our conversation. Wendy, how long does it take for our habits to become permanent behavior changes? Well, that actually depends on how difficult the behavior is that you're trying to form into a habit. Because habits are a learning system. And it takes longer, more repetitions to learn things that are complex than things that are simple. You wouldn't expect to learn a very complex symphony on the piano in the same time that it takes you to learn a twinkle, twinkle little star. So (laughs) that's the same with habits. If you can simplify things and make it easier, then your brain will start to connect all of those behaviors and the context more quickly. If it's very complicated, lots of steps, lots of variation in what you're trying to do, then your brain won't learn that habit quite as quite as readily. So that brings me back to motivation. If we're talking about a long-term goal where there's no immediate reward, or maybe we're working on something that's a little less tangible, we're not going to feel maybe more rested because we've started to go to bed early, so we don't get that immediate payoff. How do we maintain our motivation over the long term, Wendy? Well, for some behaviors, you can add uh, some enjoyment to it, some immediate enjoyment. Like, I used to be a runner, and I don't run anymore, but I do work out on an elliptical, and ellipticals are horribly boring. (laughs) Unless you can listen to podcasts or radio, I read trashy novels (laughs) when I work out because I don't have time to do that. 
in the rest of the day. So I can make my workout time special and fun in a way that helps make it into a habit because then it's more likely that I'll repeat it. So finding ways that you enjoy to make a behavior um, will help you repeat a behavior in the future and will help you form a habit, even though, as you say, much of the payoff may be long-term, there are still things you can do to make it enjoyable in the short run. Bob, I'm curious about the way we think about our habits or behaviors and how it affects our ability to change them. So by calling something a bad habit, right, are we, are we setting ourselves up in some way to either be more punitive uh, towards ourselves if we're if we're not successful at changing that habit or behavior rather than saying this is just something i want to change well i you know i think all of us who have what we consider bad habits that we want to change which is all of us uh when, you know when we say something about that i i think not reaching a goal is discouraging, you know, not reaching a goal that you've shared with other people is discouraging and kind of embarrassing. But I, but I think, you know, what, what, what we haven't talked about yet, which bears some relevance to what we're talking about is how much our social environment influences our capacity to change our behavior. You know, I, I, I teach in a music building part of the day and uh, there are a lot of students there who are practicing and some of my students, you know, would like to practice more and they say, well, what should I do? And the first thing I say is, well, hang out with people who practice more. Um, when you're in a social group where many of the people uh, are doing the things that you yourself want to do, it's going to be easier. I'm using that word that Wendy used earlier. It's going to be easier to do the things that you want to do. I mean, and yeah, I think we mentioned the gossip thing before. If you hang around with people who not only gossip themselves, but really enjoy hearing gossip, well, then it's going to be harder to change that behavior than if you put yourself in social environments that where it, where it's more difficult to do the thing you don't want to do and it's easier to do the thing that you want to do. I think, you know, we sort of underestimate not only how much of this is operating below our conscious awareness, but we underestimate how much we're influenced by other people. I'm, I feel very fortunate because I surround myself with very smart, very manipulative people who share my values. And... <laughs> And they make me a better person, right? Because I know that they value the things that I value and they're really good at helping me be the better version of myself because of what they pay attention to, what they reinforce. Uh, and and that's of great benefit to me. And I don't think it would be as easy to make those changes if the people around me weren't on the same page. Hmm. Well, Olga Hazan is a journalist with The Atlantic. And last summer, she set out to see if she could change her personality in three months. To do that, she started a gratitude journal, started meditating, and she even took an improv class to become more extroverted. Here's a clip of her speaking with Illinois Public Media's The 21st Show last February. When I was in the throes of this experiment and doing all of this stuff and, and really putting myself out there and meditating and, and all the rest, um, that I did, I did feel really different. Like every day, my thoughts and my behaviors felt pretty different from what I would have normally done. Psychologist Brent Roberts researches personality at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, and Olga consulted him for his, his, her experiment, and here's what he said. 
your personality is one big habit, if you want to think about it that way. And it and it is the case that there's a, a question about um, whether the change that occurs in the short run is something that stays in place over the long run. And by definition, that would be personality change. Wendy, as someone who studies habits, at what point does a habit change become a personality change? Well, I think our behavior definitely influences who we are. It influences our experience of the world around us. It influences who we interact with, um, what kinds of skills we develop. So if you think at the level of behavior, it takes the combination of all of those to make up our personality and our experience of the world. I don't know if you can change one or two behaviors and change your personality. (laughs) I don't think most of us want to change our whole personality. Most of us have a desire, particularly um, through here's resolutions, to change specific behaviors that aren't working for us anymore. And what I tell people is that there are specific tools that you can use to change different types of behavior. So some behaviors are like one-offs. They're single decisions. That's where motivation is really important. So you want to switch retirement programs or, and it's coming up soon, you want to actually get your taxes done on time. Those are things that aren't necessarily pleasant. You have to muster up the self-control. You have to make yourself do it. But once you've done it, it's done, at least until next year. Um, So there's not repetition involved. But where habits come in is with the repeated behaviors that are part of your habit memory. And that's where motivation and decision-making doesn't help that much. Instead, your focus needs to be on the behavior itself. And that's where you're going to see um, uh, benefits in the long run. I would love to hear from each of you what advice you have for people who want to learn a new skill in the new year. There's something I want to learn. I'm not saying it out loud because I will not <laughs> I will not be held accountable if I fail. But uh, Wendy, I'll come to you first. If, if someone wants to learn a new skill this year, how should, how should they get started? Well, the idea of let's let's rift off on the the um, earlier example of trying to remember without using a list. Well, setting up cues around you to help yourself remember is a good way of being able to find your keys again. Remember to take. Um, Reusable bags when you go to the grocery store. Setting up those cues so that the bags are there in your car, your keys are always on the same place. That will help you remember these things you want to do. And learning new skills, you can adapt similar sorts of tools. So let's make it easy. Let's make the, um, if it's a musical skill, let's set set up a music station in your house so that there's a place where you can practice and the instrument is always available. You don't have to pull it out and um, 
put it together every time you plan to practice. Find music you enjoy doing, so you enjoy playing and listening to, so that you feel rewarded, even if you only manage to play a few lines of music. It's still pleasant for you. So those are the kinds of strategies that work with both habits and skills, making it easy and finding out ways to make it enjoyable. Bob, what eventually leads us to that unconscious state of flow where things just become automatic or, or habitual? Yeah. Well, it's not only repeated experiences, but repeated experiences that more often than not lead to positive consequences. Um, and, and I'll just kind of jump onto what Wendy was just saying about music learning. You know, if, if, if you can learn to take pleasure in small accomplishments, uh, there is nothing more reinforcing than recognition of your own accomplishment, regardless of what the goal is, whether you're learning a skill or changing a habit or whatever. I mean, to be able to say, I did it, is huge. Uh, and much more powerful than a lot of external reinforcers that somebody could think of. And so I think setting up yourself so you are going to be more often than not successful, especially initially. Uh, you know, we know some people who are so tenacious, they will bang at the same thing for a long time without success, knowing that eventually they're going to get it. Well, how did they get to that point? Well, they they have a history in their memory of expending effort and having positive consequences come from those efforts. So if you're new to a skill, you don't have that history, right? So, I mean, you may have a generally that history, but not in relation to that skill. So setting up small goals that are accomplishable and that you can take pleasure in and maybe even share with other people uh, then increases the likelihood that you're going to go back and to the next practice episode and the next practice episode until this all becomes something that becomes automatized. What about advice for dealing with failure? If you, if you find yourself coming up a little short, Bob. Well, okay, here's my, here's my short version of this plan to not be successful all the time. Uh, so when you have a realistic view and you say, you know, I'm going to do this thing and I bet half the time I'm not going to get it, but, but half the time I will. Well, now you have a whole different mindset going in than if the expectation is every time I do it, it's going to just sail. Uh, you're going to be disappointed about half the time. (laughs) (laughs) Half the time. That's, that ain't bad. (laughs) That's Professor Bob Duke. He's head of music and human learning at the University of Texas. He's also co-host of the psychology podcast, Two Guys on your head. Bob, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Also with us, Wendy Wood, a professor of psychology and business at the University of Southern California. She's also author of Good Habits, Bad Habits, The Science of Making Positive Changes That Stick. Wendy, thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Jen. This was fun. Today's producer was Anna Casey. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we will talk again tomorrow. We'll make it a habit. This is 1A.